I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. For the great people of Northern British Columbia, calculating the economic impact of the Wet'suwet'en pipeline protests is just another exercise in a long, treacherous battle with radical environmentalists hell-bent on destroying the resource economy. And the battle has taken its toll. What the protesters want is to level, and not just level the playing field, but to level results. To achieve leveling, activists thwart multi-billion dollar resource projects through obstinacy and militancy. They strangle resource development at the local level, destroying family and community throughout. Joining us today on RegWatch to discuss the impact of these protests is Dave Johnston, founder of The North Matters, a pro-resources grassroots advocacy group that promotes unity and action in solidarity with BC's resource citizens. Dave, thanks for coming on RegWatch. I really appreciate you having me on today, Brent. Well, we're speaking to you live from Kitimat in northern BC, which is certainly a part of the epicenter of all the resource troubles in the province. Most of our viewers already know there was a breakthrough in the talks today between the Wet'suwet'en and provincial and federal negotiators. Before we jump into what we know about these, uh, these developments today, please introduce our viewers to what your group is and why it exists. Uh, so the North Matters is a group of grassroots citizens that we started in Kitimat and it basically started with uh, this group of citizens who all had the same concerns and we met through different uh, avenues like social media and uh, out in the community doing volunteer work and we decided to start a volunteer group uh, because we heard there were a lot of uh, different issues going on with uh, LNG Canada in, in getting their project over the finish line. Uh, so all these uh, local citizens here were in favor of the project. Uh, we wanted to see a, a strong future for our children and our children's children. So <clears throat> we uh, started this group to stand up for responsible resource development in our community. And what it's turned into, you know, when we first started, we, we built a mission statement because we did want to include surrounding communities. So our mission statement is building strength in northern communities by aligning and creating opportunities for its residents. And what it's turned into now is we've had, we've been approached by multiple communities across northern BC uh, asking how they can be involved. And, and so we're, we're starting to set up groups in these other communities and everybody's coming in under the banner of the North Matters, but they have complete autonomy in their own community to fight for the opportunities that they're fighting for, but also be connected to the network. And the autonomy, that obviously is critical, certainly in this particular issue. Let's uh, jump over here to um, the computer to have a quick look. I, we're, gonna, we're gonna play a little bit of sound that we've got here uh, from today. Uh, so the this is reported as reported by Global, a proposed agreement reached between Wasoatan chiefs, government ministers after three days of talks. So, and that's been closed door uh, talks that have been going on. And uh, as Global writes, a proposed agreement on land rights and title has been reached between Wasoatan hereditary chiefs and government ministers, bringing three long days of negotiations in northern BC to an end and tentatively solving a long standing dispute over the First Nations traditional territory, which we'll discuss in a little more detail in a second, Dave. Yet the forward-looking, quote, arrangement, close quote, announced by the Chiefs, Federal Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett and her B.C. counterpart, Scott Fraser, does not apply 
to the coastal gasoline pipeline, meaning the contentious project is still going ahead as planned for now. And let's listen to what Minister Bennett had to say just a few hours ago following the end of talks. All the we want to thank uh, Denise Boss uh, and uh, really all the Denise Sakase uh, people. Uh, this has been um, a real um, learning. Wagoose uh, is uh, about uh, about respect. The Inta, and it is about making sure, as Chief Was said, that this never happens again. Um, that the rights holders uh, um, and will will always be at the table, and uh, and and that is the way through for for Canada. Um, if we continue to to move on what the Prime Minister has said on the recognition of rights, respect, cooperation, partnership, and that's the way forward. So, and that's the way forward. Uh, we'll also take a listen to, uh, before we start talking about this, Dave, uh, we'll also take a listen to what Indigenous Relations Minister Scott Fraser said uh, from the B.C. provincial government, too, as well. And this is also a part of today. An interesting and powerful three days for myself, and I know for all of us, uh, there's, it's been... It was an interesting and powerful three days for myself and I know for all of us. Uh, there's, it's been 23 years, it's been mentioned, since the Delgamuk Gesteewe decision uh, and there has been little or no uh, progress towards recognizing the rights and title of the Wet'suwet'en people since that time. And in three days, uh, I've never seen a more uh, productive and respectful table that has uh, moved us to an arrangement that uh, it will go to, go to the Wet'suwet'en people to uh, review and, uh, and, and decide to endorse, I, I hope, and, uh, and that'll move us forward in a way to bring certainty, clarity for the Wet'suwet'en people and for all British Columbians, and, uh, and it's, it's well overdue. Outline what is in that proposed agreement, uh, what you can tell us about it. We, we, I, I'm going to say straight up, the, the, the nation needs to see it first. 
Can you tell us then um, what it means to come tomorrow? Uh, the expectation was Coastal Gas Link was going to go back to work. So does this mean no more work on the pipeline till everybody gets to go over what you've looked at? What happens to that? I think that's in Minister uh, Fraser uh, will answer that because uh, he's that's his area. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and as you know, uh, the uh, the RCMP uh, made a concession uh, while we were doing this work. So did Coastal Gaslink to uh, to stay out and not work during our time. And I just I want to thank uh, all those who have made those uh, the space and the time and uh, to allow us to do this uh, respectful work uh, known as WIGUS. It's called respect. Uh, and uh, my understanding is uh, that uh, that uh, the, the, our work for this moment has been done. Uh, they are permitted and uh, and allowed to go ahead to work. Uh, I do not know uh, their exact plans, but uh, that would be a question, I believe, for Coastal Gasoline. Chief, are you happy with what's happened over the past three days? Overall, I, um, I, I did express uh, with great intensity and great compassion to both ministers, well, all ministers that, that were with us for the past three days. And um, the, the degree of satisfaction is, is uh, not that what we expected, but at the same time, uh, we're looking at um, uh, the, the other avenues and, and we'll see where that brings us. Uh, as, as most people and everybody knows that the trust factor is, is um, what uh, we've expressed all along and the respect that um, that all parties need to show. So our work uh, really uh, boiled down to um, uh, describing and uh, looking at Wakos, which is uh, uh, respect, and uh, we're, and that was the starting point. Um, once that is achieved, then then people are able to understand. What uh, what we're we're talking about as as Wet'suwet'en people. So um, yeah, for the past three days, uh, that's that's where we left things uh, uh, just basically at the respectful level. So Dave, there you go. Um, I think we missed a little bit of the audio there uh, for Carol Carol and Bennett, but we got the gist of it. She had said. Uh, that they have an arrangement, it's a milestone, and they're following the protocols of the Wet'suwet'en. So, after hearing this, what do you think? Well, I think the only conclusion, myself being, not being Wet'suwet'en, uh, the only conclusion I can draw from this, since we don't have information on the details of what this agreement entails, and that it'll be discussed within the Wet'suwet'en nation between the clans, I think that that, from what I can judge from that, it seems like it is a very positive thing, a very positive step forward. Uh, up until this point, it seems as if there's been uh, one group from the Wet'suwet'en who have been going at this alone, and nobody else's voice has been, has been covered or, or talked about. How do you mean by uh, so, that? Do you mean do you mean other First Nations or do you mean other Canadians? No, I mean uh, Wet'suwet'en members within the nation uh, seem to have been muzzled from from getting their point out. You know whether they 
whether they support it or not, uh, it seems it's gone both ways where uh, the media seems to just roll with one uh, narrative or one group. And so this, the fact that these chiefs are now including the entire nation in this discussion and going and getting their opinion on whatever this agreement says, to me is a positive thing because it really does start with that dialogue within the nation without any outside influence. So to me, that's a positive step out of this. Uh, it, again, you know, I'd really like to see what the agreement says because from my understanding, uh, the Doug Mook case, uh, the case law, if you read through it, uh, it talks about borders and overlapping land claims. And it did establish that the Wet'suwet'en have uh, this ancestral land has not been ceded. And it is uh, their rights and title to that land, but they have to establish the borders and the overlapping land claims with other nations around them. Um, so, you know, that lies with the court to decide that with the with the Canadian Supreme Court um, so yeah again it it I'm interested to see what this agreement says but it is up to the Wet'suwet'en to make that determination within their own nation without any outside influence so I think we'll see in with the media, with all these protests going on across Canada and, and shutting down our economy and all these hashtags shut down Canada, I think we're going to really see what this has really been all about because as this interview uh, with Sheep Woos just said, uh, they're going back into their nation to speak amongst each other and they've reached this agreement. Uh, so if these protests continue, talking about the hereditary chiefs, what that will tell us is that this was never about these hereditary chiefs. This is about something completely different. How do you mean? Well, as you see, the, the, the chiefs have come to an agreement and they're going to talk to uh, their, their nation members about that. So that right there sh should say, you know, all these protests should stop now. You know, just like Coastal Gaslink stopped, the RCMP stopped to give them time to talk about this. They have come to an agreement. I think it's time for all these extremists and people that are breaking the law across Canada to also stop and give this nation some time to heal and, and heal amongst each other and talk amongst each other and not be involved and, and not stick their, their hands into it. I mean, there's a lot of these groups who are fundraising for themselves on behalf of the Wet'suwet'en Nation when we don't even understand how many of them support it and how many don't support it. So, you know, there's there's a lot for that nation to work out for themselves and they need that uh, space from all this negative attention and all this anarchy going on across the country. They need that space to come together and amongst themselves and and heal and 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 heal what's been uh, torn apart and ripped apart in their community. So, Dave, let me ask you about that. You've mentioned you know extremists. Uh, there's certainly uh, a ton of radical activism that goes on in the environmental area up there in the north. It's not just been this one issue. There's been a, a string, a litany for decades, um, if not more, uh, of action like this. 
you know, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is this really likely to end? I mean, how could it end? I mean, as, as it, all revolutionaries will say, it's never about the, the issue. It's always about the revolution. I don't know. It's being someone who's done a lot of research into this and spent a lot of time uh, looking into it and reading up on a lot of other people's research who they've donated dozens of hours of their own time, if not hundreds of hours of their own time, uh, looking into these things. This all seems very targeted and regional. And we have uh, even government officials up here, you know, our, our uh, member of parliament in this riding, he was one of seven federal uh, candidates in the election who was uh, supported and and uh, campaigned for by a U.S.-funded group called Lead Now. And there's been a lot of research into this group called Lead Now, and it turns out they're a uh, they're a, their parent company is a group out of the U.S. and that's how they started in Canada. And they campaigned hard for this this candidate in in our riding who ended up winning and before he got into politics he was uh part of all these groups who seemed to be targeting this region to shut down all of our resource projects uh he was he was part of uh sierra club he was part of dogwood foundation uh he was involved with pembina institute you know he's He's been with all these different groups. I've, you know, I've seen pictures of, of him with West Coast Environmental Law, uh, you know, and now he's a decision maker, a lawmaker for our riding in in Ottawa, and he's been silent on this whole issue. There's been no leadership locally for us. So, you know, it kind of makes you wonder where is this all coming from. And why is this region targeted? I mean, if you look at the Lower Mainland, they're they're a resource-built city. They they they're a resource community. They were built on resources, and it's our turn now in the north to have those same opportunities. But it seems like we're being targeted. What's been the economic impact so far when we talked obviously covering this issue it's just you just got to shake your head and go how many projects have been lost over the decades certainly in the last 10-15 years and then with the tech uh announcement i know that's alberta but i mean we're talking about canada's resource sector here i mean how how much has been lost uh well <clears throat> it's you can't calculate it based on potential uh, investment uh, into this region uh, that got turned away because of the instability and uncertainty of building a project here. Uh, but what we do know is uh, we were really close to having an LNG uh, export facility built in Prince Rupert. And they had, you know, a, a lot of support. I would almost say overwhelming support. But the silent or the uh, loud minority seem to get all the attention of, of media and government 
And the silent majority just stood back and let it happen. And that could be a, kid, a contributing factor to why people in our community wanted to volunteer, uh, stand up and start getting involved because we didn't want to see the same thing happening to the LNG Canada project. So when you say silent majority, I mean, is it apathy or is it fear? I think it's a little bit of fear. Uh, there are intimidation tactics are one of the main tactics that uh, these extreme and let's just get one thing clear. There are a lot of environmental groups out there that do do good things. Uh, but there are a lot out there based out of, you know, whether it be Vancouver or other major cities uh, who seem to not actually do any physical work when it comes to, uh, you know, improving uh, fish returns in rivers or doing bird counts and my brother's a biologist and and he uh, he works for a consulting company and they consult for industry. So he's worked on you know windmill projects where he has to uh, do bird migra migration studies. And you know there's a lot of groups out there that do really good things to uh, you know help protect our environment. And they are you they are typically uh, going to be more local. But we have a lot of these outside groups based in city centers who come into our communities with the intention of just shutting down uh, proposed projects with no other explanation other than just blanket statements, you know, that oh, it's going to destroy the water, it's going to destroy the air, but they don't have any substantial, they just stir up emotions. And, and try to get people to uh, react emotionally, which causes division and causes polarization and brings all these negative effects into our communities. We but we don't want that. Well, I would imagine not. No, it, it, it seems though that that is part of the desired effect, right? When you look at, you know, if you always work backwards, if you don't know the reasons why something is happening, but you look at what the effects are, then you can surmise backwards. And so mm -hmm. I would say that, that this is planned uh, disruption of, of, of the local communities, of people's homes, of their lifestyles, uh, of, mm -hmm. of, of their sense of security. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, down in Vancouver, you know, if a project gets shut down, it's okay because there's 10 dozen other ones. Uh, in the north here, uh, the opportunities are limited. Um, you know, between, it, it's a six hour drive for us here in Kitimat to drive to Prince George. Uh, in between there, we have uh, Houston, Burns Lake, Smithers, and Terrace are the only main uh, centers. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, two hours between <laughs> each, each community. So it's very sparse up here. And if you've never been up to the north, uh, when you're driving between these communities, there's nothing there. Uh, typically, you're not going to have cell phone coverage. Uh, and all you see is trees, rivers, you know. So all this talk about, uh, you know, the environmental devastation and all these coin phrase words uh, to make it seem bigger than it is. You know, the wilderness is vast up here. When I look out my window... You know, I see a few houses, but then I just see never-ending uh, mountains and trees. 
So, Dave, obviously the local impact is you know critical, extremely important. Mm -hmm. But these projects, mm -hmm. though, uh, by not going ahead, they affect the entire country. I mean, we mm -hmm. see that, as I said in our lead, this is all about leveling. That is what mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the radical environmentalists actually have uh, a particular point of view. It's one that is vehemently anti-capitalism. Uh, they're mm -hmm. anti-free market. Uh, they want to destroy uh, the foundations of our economic system. And, and that's what you do. You go after resources. That, that's how you do it. And if the end goal is leveling, which they continue, continually talk about, which is what it is, they seem to forget that in the history of the known world, there's never been a case when you can level a group of people up. You know, mm -hmm. government, uh, organizations, parties, that kind of thing. You can't swoop into an area and level up. It just doesn't work. The only way you can level is by leveling down. And leveling down means taking away opportunity taking away wealth, taking all that stuff away from the top to crush the top down. And when I look at what's going on in Canada, I see a deliberate process at the national and international level to level Canada, remove Canada's prosperity, remove its wealth, remove its opportunity to, uh, uh, to get wealth through its natural resources, and to remove hope from Canadians that they can do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, looking at looking at it from that point of view, uh, who are the victims in in this game? You know, it's the average citizen. You know, it's it's your neighbor. It's it's people that are trying to. It, I mean, it's hard enough as it is, uh, especially in the north, to survive and put food on the table because of the lack of opportunities because of the uh the weather uh you know there's a lot of challenges up here and the victims of this game that these uh extreme environmentalists are playing are all the community members and that's the what we're trying to get out that the information that they're putting out in the most part is disinformation. So, I mean, we've had uh, the Wilderness Committee send, and it they, they've sent these flyers, and they're just propaganda flyers up to every house in Kitimat. They've mailed them out. I don't know how they get so much money to do this kind of stuff, but uh, they sent out these propaganda flyers that was just riddled with disinformation about fracking and pipelines and uh, LNG carriers. It was just riddled with disinformation. And that's what they do. They, they try to mislead the public and lie and deceive the public to get whatever political outcome that they're trying to get. And we need people to start waking up and, realize what's, and realizing what's happening and that they're being deceived. They're being duped. They're being taken advantage of. People that get behind these types of groups they're being lied to and they need to start realizing that and they need to realize that, you know, they need to start looking out for their neighbors. They need to start looking out for their family and friends, not these, not backing these groups that are uh, furthering the benefit of other countries when, when these industries 
divest from Canada, they're going to another country to do the exact same thing. But in most cases, they're not doing it as well as we do, and they're not taking as well, good care of the environment as we do. Yeah, we're just showing here a little bit of their... They're trying to ha hire some new canvassers. I would sure like to be uh, in the back room of one of these uh, training sessions. I'm sure and, you it's know, uh, quite militant. <laughs> and there's a lot of things going on right now with these groups. Uh, Tides Foundation is one of those organizations out of the U.S. that was founded in San Francisco that funds a lot of these groups. Uh, we had a uh, presentation for the Senate committee and Terrace on Bill C-48. Uh, we had one of the one of these groups, uh, local groups here, uh, admit uh, publicly, it's on public record, that over 70% of their funding comes from the U.S. And they, had, they see nothing wrong with that. But if they're not doing what makes those groups happy who are funding them, they're obviously not going to get that money anymore. So they have to keep the same narrative and keep doing kind of what the funders want them to do in order to keep that that uh, that money coming in, rolling in. Sure, let's uh, let's just have a listen here. I haven't listened to this yet, but it's the CEO here of Tides. It looks like it's just a short two minutes. Let's uh, roll the dice here and see if we can, uh, we can get some uh, interesting sound from this. One second. Sure. We live in a time of, I think, enormous challenges, but equally enormous opportunities. Investing in social change isn't about taking a safe bet on what worked in the past. It's about making a bold, risky bet on what just might work in the future. We all have comfort zones. Individuals have them, communities have them. It's the easiest place to stay, but real change rarely comes from those circumstances. A smart risk taker actually has the courage to say, hey, things are not working. Who would we not partner with to do something that has never been seen before or things that we thought were impossible? We can't afford lethargy. We can't afford not taking bold actions at this time and tides represents a real departure from the mindset that we need to just tinker around at the margins. Effective social change requires innovation, it requires scaling, and it requires collaboration. The people who partner with Tides are really the risk takers of the philanthropic sector. We're ready for change now, and we're gonna use whatever tools and communities we can to get there faster. We've been doing this for 40 years. I think it's given us an incredibly unique perspective on social transformation. We have impact solutions as diverse <laughs> as the problems that we wanna solve. We have a place for everyone. That is the benefit of working with an organization that has the breadth of resources, the length of experience, and the passion for change that Tides has. Sometimes in the world of social change, uh, people who want to see you do bold things are not the same people that want to make sure you have all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed. At Tides, you can find both. That so if anybody hasn't figured it out yet, change is the porn word here. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, not, social change. Social, social change. change. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's let them finish up here. A combination of expertise as well as embracing the boldness that we need is really what makes a difference. It's more than just lip service to us. We really partner with you at the heart and the spirit level of what you're trying to do. You have to challenge yourself to embrace risk and dare to create change. To push boundaries. To build a world of shared prosperity and social justice. When you're talking about needing to move fast, when you want to work with a partner who gets it, you come to Tides.
So I think, I mean, it's really important to bring this up, Dave, uh, you know, on our side here at RegWatch is that when you hear that kind of language, that's not just, you know, nicely, Pam, you know, Pablum corporate or social justice speak, because it doesn't, it didn't seem too radical. It's well, extremely I mean, it's, radical. They, they make it, they make it sound like a Disney movie. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes it so dangerous. Now, Tides, uh, U.S., they said they've been in, you know, around for 40 years, and that is absolutely true. In their early days, within the very first years of their starting in the early 80s, they actually funded the satellite uplink to the Kremlin when during all the pressure on uh, President Reagan and uh, in 84 uh, in, uh, in the whole nuclear, uh, the whole battle over nuclear power and nuclear weapons. So, I mean, these guys have been in it in the start and, and it's been radical the whole time. And they're an actual bundler for other progressive groups. So, so all these other progressive groups funnel money into them and then they take that and then they manage it out. So um, I've got a couple of other thoughts on that, but I'm going to pass it to you first here to get your feedback. Yeah, it's scary to me that they just opened up an, an office in Williams Lake. Uh, they just brand, opened a brand new office and hired someone. I think they're paying them seventy dollars or $80,000 a year. And it's not quite clear what they're doing. Uh, but it... I think what they were talking about is uh, the local First Nations community there. They would act as a liaison and work with the local First Nations community. So it's another infiltration tactic, in my in my opinion, uh, to use First Nations for whatever it is that they're trying to do. They're trying to take down our way of life and our society. And uh, they, I mean, that's kind of what they just said, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. And I mean, um, you know, bold change. Bold, risky change. And the thing is, is that these these people um, and, you know, Canada is primarily made of these kinds of people. And in their mind, uh, there's only one kind of change, and that's radical change. And the ch radical change that needs to happen is always tomorrow, because whatever radical change happened yesterday matters no longer <laughs> and uh, was never right. I mean, these guys have been running change now for about 140 years. All of Canada's history as a country have been run by these mm. progressives, whether they're progressives mm. on the left or progressives on the right. And, you know, despite what everybody says on the left when they try to when they try to dispel the fact that, say, progressive conservatives are not really progressive. Yes, they are. They're, mm -hmm. they're, I mean, their progressives cross over both. And those progressives in the conservative party are fellow travelers of mm -hmm. progressivism. So. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop you right there and pull it back a little bit because, you know, I, I might agree with you, but we're probably going to lose a lot of people on this. So my thinking behind this is, well, wait a minute. Why would we lose people from that kind of a conversation? Well, I might be going a little bit too uh, deep into it. And, you know, that's kind of why we started the North Matters is because we want to show people exactly how easy it is and what they can do to actually start standing up for the communities and uh, fighting back against these, I'll say, radicals that want to destroy our way of life. But and it's not just U.S. radicals, Dave. It's Canadian radicals. It's, it's, our own, it's our own citizens, our own fellow neighbors. Right. So getting, cutting through all the disinformation and the Disney-like presentations. Uh, that's kind of what we want to do, but we want to give people 
the opportunity to make a stand in their community and make a stand for their their kids and their kids kids of being able to stand up to these this disinformation that's being fed into their community and and stand up and say no that's wrong you know we're going to stand up and we're going to call this out we're going to make a presentation to our uh municipal council we're going to write an op-ed we're going to do a put on a information event local community information event and feed people lunch or dinner and and do a presentation to show them what's going on with certain things in their community and I think what we were touching on at, at first is it all does start with resources. We are a resource-rich country, and our resource industries are under attack. And we're seeing that daily with the focus on the coast. If, if you're able to set up what was being attempted in Alberta was the Bighorn land use uh, agreement, if you're able to set something like that up, it cuts off access for pipelines. That didn't work in Alberta. So now what's happening in BC is the exact same thing. They just call it something different. It might be caribou. It might be, uh, you know, beavers or uh, whatever it might be. Look at it as a bigger picture. The, the Look at it from an aerial point of view on a map and it's strategic. It's trying to shut off any access for pipelines to the coast. At the same time, it's shutting down uh, forestry industries, uh, permitted land. It's shutting down opportunities for mining. It's shutting down all these different industries, agriculture, uh, ranching, it's shutting it all down. Well, and, and I think, that, and I think that's the point I'm I'm trying to make at by just bringing in some of the the ideology. It's because, like, I mean, this thing is metastasized to just shutting down, you know, a a, a runner river dam or something like that. I mean, we're, mm -hmm. we're at the part here now where nobody could credibly say that you could build any project of scale in Canada. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that that is like we're going to turn into Venezuela here. Yeah, or worse. And, you know, I kind of, I have to shake my head when I hear the the types of solutions uh, from these groups that are trying to shut everything down. You know, that we need to uh, expand our tourism industry and we can survive off tourism. Well, I would challenge you to show me one country in the world that relies solely on tourism that isn't a third world country. Right. And, you know, and let me just bring up, because, you know, I appreciate the position that you're in and your organization is in, and so many with inside, you know, the resource community, you can't really afford to take the attitude that I've got. That's why I'm here, is to, is to start saying these things, because, like, you, you don't own change. Progressives own change, and they own change in a manner in which only their kind of change counts. And mm -hmm. it has to be radical. And it's always mm -hmm. continuing. And, um, and it's always designed to make every single person a better person and the country better. And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we make social better. And uh, you, yeah, know so, you can't make that happen, right? Yeah, and the best way to uh, track this and understand what's going on is it moves from one campaign to another 
and it's all the same groups involved. So if you look at uh, the Bill C-48, Bill C-69, mm-hmm. it was all these groups were focusing 100% attention on that. But at the same time, they're so advanced over the last 35 years in their strategy and ways to infiltrate into government and into uh, First Nations communities and hold them down in poverty and, and uh, you know, run with policies in government that hurt our communities. Uh, if, if you look at, <laughs> actually a perfect example, a colleague of mine, Steve Simons, uh, during the C-48 hearing in uh, Terrace, he was sitting beside uh, the CEO of Skeena Wild when, when he admitted that over 70% of their funding comes from the U.S. and he has no problem with that. But Steve actually predicted in that, and you can you can see it in this in the Senate records. He he predicted what's next after C forty eight. You know they're talking about uh, crude oil, shipping crude oil, and they're trying to shut that down. But what comes next? What Steve said is, are they going to come after LNG next? And as we've seen, all these same groups involved have shifted to LNG, and they're all going after this LNG CGL pipeline right now. So if you go scroll down to where Steve was talking. How far down do you want me to go here? It's it's after the introduction. So, uh, so I didn't highlight it, so I didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah, Hi, my name so is Steve Simons. Steve, That's this is where, where he started. This is his introduction. Okay. Uh, but if you scroll down. Okay, there we go. C48. And we're just yeah, looking, if, we're looking for the uh, U.S. Uh, Looking for okay, you. here you go. So, Mr. Simon, oh, stop for a sec. Yeah. Mr. Simon's, oh, sure. If previous, I don't know how to help that. if previous anti-development campaigns are any indication of what we can expect going forward, then we can expect these activist organizations to turn their efforts towards LNG shipping next, and that's a concern for the community. Wow. So, we were we were talking about this. Uh, this was back in April, last April. And That's- now we've seen that happen. So, you know, it's it's very uh, easy to, to see what's coming next. So what I'm saying right now, I feel is coming next, is uh, focus on these land use uh, proposals in the interior. Uh, Williams Lake, um, Revelstoke, uh, up north in Fort, Fort Nelson. And if you look at what it's all about, it's all tied to the Y2Y initiative. And all these groups are getting behind that. What so is that? that? What is that, Dave? That's, the Y2Y initiative is basically a massive swath of, of uh, BC from Yellowstone to Yukon uh, that they're trying to get turned into a park. So there's no uh, recreational activity. There's no... Uh, economic activity, uh, there's no resource activity, it's shut down, and, and it's it's strictly a park. And that's that's the initiative that we need to keep an eye on now. So I, it just let's jump back here for a moment to uh, the Wet'suwet'en issue. Mm. I've got some numbers here right now uh, from our people that uh, give us dossiers too, just like, you know, Putin. Uh, so had to, had to. Uh, Russia! Anyhow, so this is uh, Tides Canada, and uh, this is just a look at uh, some of the money 
that they've been giving to Etoden, uh over the last couple of years. So just under $200,000, that's a drop in the bucket of the amount of money that's been funneled into the uh, militant campaign that's been going on to destroy Canada's resource economy. Mm -hmm. In your mind, how much money do you think overall to say, guess, how much money has come in spent to kill our economy? Oh, hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions. If you look at uh, Vivian Krauss's research, uh, which I've, I've looked really deep into, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there trying to discredit her too. Uh, but, you know, when you look at, at what she's put together, it's all it is is tax returns. She's just, she's found these tax returns and she's showing what they say. It's, you know, not a conspiracy. It's money that's coming in to these organizations to shut down. And it says it right on the tax returns to shut down these projects. Uh, and she's dug up hundreds of millions of dollars that has come into BC alone to shut down these projects. And then Alberta is like a whole nother story too. That's, right. you know, the Corp Ethics Tar Sands campaign is, that was a deliberate attempt and things that we're seeing now are uh, hangovers off of that. You know, shutting down uh, Northern Enbridge, that was all part of the Tar Sands campaign. Uh, CGL now is a hangover from the Tar Sands campaign. Yeah, the Tar Sands right. campaign, I've got that right up here, actually, mm -hmm. uh, to mm -hmm. show people. Just a, a little is that bit. Before they, is that before they scrubbed it, where they show what the the uh, purpose of the Tar Sands campaign is? You know what? I didn't. It, it probably is before, because I've had this document for a while. Um, okay. And I haven't checked, because it was only... It was only just yesterday that I found out that they had scrubbed it. Uh, but mm. I don't think they've got it up anymore because when I, I did go to Corporate Ethics site, I, I didn't even see that you could download it anymore. So, I mean, I'd well, have what, to check. What they did, what they did was uh, Vivian Krauss got interviewed by uh, Wendy Mesley on CBC, The National, and they showed, you know, uh, what the Tar Sands campaign was all about. And it says... Well, basically, yeah, theory of change. See, it's always change. Yeah. Our goal is yeah. to mitigate the harms associated with existing tar sands production, achieve a moratorium on new tar sands operations, and use this issue to speed the enactment of U.S. and Canadian federal energy legislation that preempts the demand for future tar sands oil and ensures we meet and exceed the IPCC carbon targets for 2050. So the potential to break the chain for delivery of vital inputs to tar sands operations, the legal potential to block vital links in the tar sands oil delivery infrastructure, the potential costs to the industry associated with mitigation and legal fights, the fact that Barack Obama, the potential next president, has criticized tar sands oil, and the growing potential for national carbon legislation that preempts tar sands oil, tar sands oil. And that's why they were optimistic and literally... I mean, when you talk about the disinformation campaign, it's out mm -hmm. laid out in this in this report. I'll throw this up on RegWatch. Uh, I've been waiting for a good episode for us to do that, for us to release it, and I'll get this okay. up on RegWatch so they can have it. So, but raising the negatives, U.S. and Canadian government officials and oil industry spokespersons have aggressively promoted tar sands as the solution for quote energy security and independence unquote. Like that's a bad thing. These people are mentally <laughs> ill. They're mentally ill. So, 
So what it says in the, uh, like for the purpose of, of the Tar Sands campaign, uh, right in there is uh, since day one, the, the entire purpose was to landlock Alberta oil so that it couldn't uh, reach international market and fetch a higher price. And as soon as uh, Vivian was interviewed on the national with Wendy Mesley, uh, they changed that. They, they took that whole section out and they said the whole purpose of the campaign is to educate the public on the effects of tar sands hmm. on the environment. Well, so, well I'll, have, I'll have to go through this again in a little more detail to see if this is the scrubbed version or not. Um, <laughs> it definitely, it definitely, you know, what's so interesting, right, is it talks about the coordination between U.S. and uh, between the U.S. and uh, Canadian activists, talks about sharing resources and how to do that and all of the strategy uh, in between. Anyhow, I mean, you know, clearly for the group of people who like to get all their, you know, buns in a knot over uh, foreign influence uh, in say the US political election when they don't even live in the US, uh, they should be really concerned about this kind of influence in Canada. And uh, because really they, they're taking the decision-making ability away from Canadians by supporting this kind of misinformation for the lack of a better word mm -hmm. yeah and they've like i say uh, uh if you want to look into this for yourself uh just look at the different campaigns so right now it's the uh cgl pipeline and it was all about the hereditary chiefs but now that the hereditary chiefs are speaking with their community and trying to heal their community and give people in their community a voice that they haven't had for so long and that's happening right now if this other stuff continues we understand that it's not about the hereditary chiefs. There's a bigger issue here. There's a bigger thing going on. And I guarantee you all those groups who are involved in it, Sierra Club, Wilderness Committee, uh, West Coast Environmental Law, uh, Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, you know, all these different groups who are involved in this right now and uh, weighing in and sticking their nose in and fundraising uh, for their own gain. Watch what happens when that campaign dies down. Watch where they all go, because they'll all go to the next thing. And that's my prediction, is it's the land use stuff in the interior. Let me ask you, uh, Dave, with regards to um, the politics behind all of this, um, to the extent that you can comment on how the federal and provincial governments have been handling this, and specifically our prime minister, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I could speak to all of that it doesn't represent uh the north matters uh represents my own personal views but the north matters is uh non-partisan and we try to stay away from uh the politics of everything and focus on policy for our communities what policies are are going to best build up and help and uh, sustain our communities but my own personal view is that there's been a complete uh, departure from leadership in our country. I, you're just not seeing any kind of leadership. You know, lawlessness and you know a small handful of people seems to be running the country right now. And what about the uh, you know issue with RCMP getting forced you know out of the lands as a part of the bargaining tactics? Well, that's scary too. You know, we're a country of the rule of law, and the BC Su Supreme Court. Um, served an injunction and uh, for this company that has crossed all its T's and dotted all its I's and had support of all 21st Nations, all municipal 
elected officials, all provincial elected officials, all federal elected officials. It had support from everyone that represents the nation. And it seems, you know, a few, a few people who oppose it are now the talk of every single uh, local, provincial, federal uh, media outlet. And for the RCMP to have to leave from doing their job, which is uphold the rule of law in our country, speaks volumes to the lack of leadership. You yeah, know, I don't know uh, how that doesn't a scary, unwind. How does that not unwind the country to some extent? It's a scary. It's a scary thing. It's a really scary thing. You know, if we're if we're gonna show on the international stage, which this has now gotten to, if we're gonna show that we're a country of lawlessness, and uh, the first <laughs> post-national state is that I think when. Uh, Justin Trudeau first got in, he said the first post-national state and now a country of lawlessness. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. That's It's scary. Yeah, well, but, I'm, I'm always suspicious that things are unfolding as planned. It, <laughs> like I say, I, looking in my region, things seem very targeted yes. and uh, very well-coordinated. So looking into that a little bit further might surprise you and uh, make you think, whoa, you know, there's something bigger going on here that I don't know about. Absolutely. So we're mindful of everyone's time. Uh, we're getting close. I got a, we got a couple of more questions to go through. Um, what I want to do is I want to bring us back into some, kind of the nitty gritty here a little bit. And this is about the, the actual ruling in 1997. Uh, the Dell and the pronunciation on this is, is always hard. Thank you for giving me a little bit of hand with that, but I don't think I'm going to get it right. Delgamook, right? Delgamook. Yeah. Yeah, so amid the backdrop of nationwide protests, blockades and arrests, wetsuit and heter uh, hereditary chiefs on the front lines of the fight to stop a pipeline in their traditional territories are pointing to a Supreme Court case from the 1990s that underscores their authority over the land. The decision in the Del Magook versus British Columbia was delivered on December 11, 1997, acknowledging Aboriginal land title and setting a precedent for how it how it is understood in Canadian courts. So how Aboriginal land title is going to be understood in Canadian courts. Quote, the Supreme Court established that the Wet'suwet'en had never extinguished title to our territories, close quote. Uh, within Western law, they have acknowledged that we still have title to our territories, and this is an issue about title. So Dave, let me throw that to you right now. You live up there, but we're all Canadians. And, and, and that sounds like to me that all crown land is now First Nations land. And if, if they don't want us using it in certain ways uh, or feel that we haven't properly consulted uh, and then accommodated them, then they'll unleash their colleagues across the country and shut down Canada's national transportation system and, and cause hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of economic damage and billions when you see stuff like, you know, the tech mine uh, pulling the plug and all of the other projects. So is that really where the state that we're in now is that there are two classes of citizens and uh, one has right to that property and the others don't? No, I think the, I think that the uh, process right now of reconciliation is, has gone in the completely wrong 
wrong direction. Um, we are all one. We are all one pe people in in the world. Uh, we're all connected, and we need to treat each other with the love and respect that we would expect back. And when it comes to the the land titles, it is true, uh, and our Canadian Supreme Court uh, did uh, recognize it in uh, Delgamook that they haven't given up rights to their traditional territory and by all means it is their traditional territory but just like our Supreme Court recognizing that and we as all Canadians should recognize that it's you know, it's a it's a piece of history, but true reconciliation is working together and sharing what we have for the betterment of our communities and the healing of our society and our and and our neighbors and our friends. We need to start learning how to work together and stop grandstanding on different claims or uh different racial positions or you know any of these types of positions it it should just be dropped you know we need to start talking about healing you know this this is a, a nation that we're talking about the wet soda nation that's uh torn apart and you know there's a lot of people that are at fault for that there's the government there's these angos there's industry there's uh you know locals there's a lot of at different people but what needs to happen for true reconciliation to, to start happening is the conversation needs to change you so know, let me let me just bring up my last of the strong pieces here at you and then and then we'll close up with some of the what we're doing about it kind of thing reconciliation mm. that word is you know i mean they say that reconciliation is dead that's that's the the militant argument is rec reconciliation is dead and it might very well be so because it appears to me that recon reconciliation moves to retaliation or retribution mm. or revenge. Mm. All of the R words long past uh, reconciliation. Mm. Uh, mm. They, you know, it's, it's, it's really retribution. And, and that's what makes it very difficult to understand how to connect here. Like, are just cuddly words going to be enough to figure this problem out? No, definitely not. Uh, you know, working side by side is a start. And we're seeing that with uh, these ministers, whether we agree with you know, what's going on or not. Uh, just the fact that they're going face to face and sitting down and discussing with these hereditary chiefs um, who in turn are going back to their nation and, and starting that healing process uh, amongst themselves is a really positive sign of one of those types of steps that needs to, to happen. So I would love to see a lot more of that going on. Uh, that helps. Uh, what we're doing, of course, is what I was talking about, building strength by aligning and creating opportunities is uh, bringing people together in communities and then bringing all those communities together. So we've started uh, very small. We started a, in a very small group 
and we've managed to spread out now with the message that we're trying to spread and it's it's not been us trying to force it on people it's been people asking us to come and make these presentations and talk about these things including members of the wet soda nation who asked if they can come and uh help us out with some stuff we were doing and then they started learning more about what we're doing and they got the strength to start speaking up in in their community without that fear of lateral violence because that's what we're trying to do is create a safe place for people that can start speaking to unity and understanding and and loving one another and we're just showing uh some of the pictures here of some of your events uh just talk us through these last uh shots that we've got here how can people help so the best thing you can do is uh is start talking to people in your community about these topics i know it's something that not everybody wants to talk about uh you know it is uh political in a sense uh you know it's something that really most people's eyes just glaze over when when you start talking about this stuff but people need to start understanding and realize how important this is to our way of life and that wars aren't fought in the battlefield anymore you know this don't get this mixed up this is a war this is an economic war against our country and our way of life is going to crumble pretty fast if we let it continue if we let it to continue simmering so what you can do is you can start getting involved in your community by talking to people finding like-minded people uh going and do presentations to council uh writing op-eds um you know speaking to your local leaders and you know asking them questions about things that are happening and about opportunities that could potentially be coming uh to your community and you know how can you do something to uh stand up and try to and try to make that opportunity a reality in in your community you know the the key here is communication and when you start talking to other community leaders and elected leaders and start getting a bigger picture of what's going on with the community you can really start affecting change by doing these simple little things and important things too no doubt i mm -hmm. mean you've got to do the nice pretty little words we just need an army somewhere on this side that can start mm -hmm. you know fight where where is it i mean we don't have that in victoria and we don't have mm -hmm. that in ottawa mm -hmm. i mean i think alberta's got some of that no doubt um mm -hmm. but this is frustrating because it it really and i mean i and i totally get it you know maybe we're crying cro crocodile tears because the one side that you know is benefiting from these rulings and so forth um have a lot of grievance that is valid there's no doubt valid right but well, that doesn't discount yeah. the rest of canadians having no say at all so this three days uh, of, of chatting has happened um the federal and provincial governments have obviously clearly given up something because mm -hmm. they shut down canada's national transportation network so they're going to get something to open that up and uh and you know what what say do does the rest of canada get in that nothing so we had our say was just a minority government that was it like mm -hmm. that's our entire say i don't you know yeah it's i mean it's it's really hard to say what's going on but that's why we're not focusing on uh partisan politics we're focusing on uh policies in our individual communities 
uh, that are going to start building up our communities. Uh, it's it's really it's our it's it's our turn um, in the north to to reap in the benefits of our resources. Vancouver's done that already. They've already established themselves and built that up. Where now they have universities and they have uh, top grade medical facilities and they have all these things that resources brought them and it's our turn up in the north now and the only way I can see us doing that is for standing up for these policies and stop getting into the partisan stuff and the division and polarization and bring everyone in you know everyone in the community should want the same policies they want the best for the environment they want the top-notch social programs and they want opportunities for their kids you know so why can't we talk about just those things you know, and figure out which policies are going to get us there and push for those policies in our community. Well, that's fantastic, Dave. So your uh, your website has been up under your name key the whole time, but it's thenorthmatters.org, correct? That's correct. Very well, I highly encourage everybody to go check it out. It's always great when a grassroots organization like yours jumps into the fray and God bless you trying to keep it nonpartisan. It's always tough. Just, just <laughs> stay... It's especially it's especially tough to do when uh, it's all volunteers. Oh, true, absolutely. You know, like all these all these people that have been putting in all this time and traveling out to uh, different events. You know, I just I have to truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank them because you know we're all doing this on a volunteer basis. So for me to go to these people and be like, hey, you know, we don't have any money to to pay for anything but would you be interested in getting involved in this and then they do and they put in all this effort i mean that's community that's that's what it's all about that's you know that's what standing up and fighting for your community is all about well that's just excellent and if you got money out there go check out uh dave and the north matters yeah we have a donate button up and we've gotten a hundred dollars so far so if anybody wants to chip in on our website that would be great oh, that's great <laughs> well thanks again dave just stay right there well, that's it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And consider making a financial contribution to our coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and then toss them our way. You'll be happy you did it, and so will we. And while online, don't, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.